Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, two paranormal investigators reveal their scary adventures inside America's most haunted library. As we sat down in that room, I looked in two chairs and I was psychically seeing these men in black. Nobody else in the room was was seeing them. I was seeing them psychically, but they were just sitting there very, very still uh, with their gazes fixed across the room in just sort of a menacing and, and really unsettling way. Have you ordered your bottle of Carbon 60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now. We're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60, and it's produced by our friends at C60Evo.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better. We're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain. And that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com slash ref slash rs1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS60, go to c60evo.com slash R-E-F-R-S-1. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Joey and Tanya Medea are standing by to discuss their lengthy and intense investigation of the Webb Memorial Library in North Carolina. It has so much paranormal activity, it's earned its reputation as not only the most haunted library in the state, but also America, maybe the world. Before that, a reminder that I'll be back on Coast to Coast AM this coming Friday, February 14th and Saturday, February 15th. Hope you can tune in and as always, Go to coasttocoastam.com and click on Media, then click Local Stations to find an affiliate that carries the program near you. We're about to discover a library where the ghosts aren't in the books. They're right next to you in the halls and rooms looking over your shoulder as you pick a title from a shelf. This is the Earl W. Webb Jr. Memorial Library built on haunted ground with a legacy of pirates and German U-boats, and it's jam-packed with spirits. Veteran paranormal investigators Joey and Tanya Medea are here to take us on a mind-bending tour of every shadowy corner of the library and its spooky and colorful spectral residents who don't hesitate to let visitors know they're around. Joey and Tanya Medea, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Very good, thank you. Doing great, thank you. 
You guys spent an awful long time, 150 hours, 75 nights, in what you're you're calling the most haunted library in North Carolina. The subject of your your book, Watch Out for the Hallway. Tell me about this library. Where is it, and what does it look like? The library is located in Moorhead City, North Carolina, which is on the Crystal Coast of North North Carolina, and it's. Um, a beautiful building, a brick structure. Uh, it was built in 1929, and uh, it, at the time that we were investigating, was um, filled with just lovely antiques, and it still holds the original collection of books, which is just a beautiful antique collection of books that's up on the second floor. And how did you discover that this was perhaps the most haunted library. Were you getting reports from people or had you visited and had experiences of your own? So what it was was, and and I suppose I should say up front that our publisher, um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who we, we all lost last yes, year. Yes, God uh, rest her soul. sadly. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, we were just calling it, uh, I forget what we were calling it, but she said, look, I've read this book and I will put my money where my mouth is that this is the haunted, most haunted library in North Carolina. So that's how that subtitle came to be. But um, I was working for an entertainment and education historical tour and program company. And they had had uh, an open investigation that had been going on there that was mothballed because their investigators were getting freaked out. They were leaving in the middle of the night. They were not uh, professionally trained investigators per se. And it just so happened to be that Tanya and I had been studying and being mentored by Rosemary after a, an experience we had with an interdimensional for about seven years. And so it was a good opportunity for us to finally get our feet wet. So there were some things that we found out in advance. There was a lot of maritime and nautical folklore that was attached to the place, none of which bore out, but being that it's at the Crystal Coast, which is the other name for that is the Graveyard of the Atlantic, yes. um, it had quite a reputation around it, and it certainly, it didn't disappoint. So it sounds like it's sort of the perfect storm. It's located in an ideal location. You've got, I'm guessing that books can be haunted. We know that objects can be haunted. That's something that Rosemary wrote about. So you've got the this antique collection. Uh, you've got the uh, the Atlantic graveyard. Uh, just just you know, ripe for a haunting. Absolutely, and that is exactly what we thought as well. That it was a perfect storm of factors. Obviously, a very old building. Uh, the building was about a block and a half from the water. Uh, so there was an inlet there that sat about a block and a half away. Uh, the entire area, actually, after we began investigating the library, uh, we would talk to residents in that area who would say, oh, yeah, not only did I have experiences in the library as a child growing up here, but my house that I grew up in is like a block away, and it was also very haunted. So we heard that from a number of people. But uh, there was also a radio tower right across the street, from the library. And in addition to that, there was a building that was originally a hospital. 
uh, directly across the street. And that hospital treated a lot of burn victims during World War II, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, And then the building was converted into a nursing home and served as a nursing home for many years. And then, unfortunately, it was converted to a luxury hotel. And at that time, a lot of the nursing home patients were sort of evicted. um, And that was, as you can imagine, pretty traumatic for those residents. So just all of these factors we felt went into the amount of activity that we experienced at the Webb Library. Now, I do want to circle back in in a moment to this uh, experience you've had with this interdimensional. You said it went on for seven years. Uh, But before we get to that, let me just come back to the library. What's a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical encounter that residents have with the occupants, uh, the other uh, uh, occupants of the library? Right. So even though there was a wide swath of activity, which we could talk about as we go, a typical was a ghost or spirit, a disembodied uh, human, either a child, uh, male or female. As Tanya said, some of the burn victims were seen or sensed there. There was one ghost in particular who we believed before it became a library it was several other things on the first floor there were doctor's offices and originally in 1929 the man who built it earl webb senior wanted to do something for the community where he grew up he was a very very successful lawyer for gm and uh so he put in a textile training facility for a garment factory that was also in Moorhead City. And the manager there, we believe, the women that were there were very happy to have the work. Uh, They were not particularly empowered to stand up for workers' rights or anything like that. And he had happy hands. So some of the female librarians, some of the female guests at the library, because it is to this day a working library, which made it extremely interesting to investigate over the course of the two years. women would uh, report being touched or having the hem of their skirt uh, lifted up or having a real feeling of of being watched and not in a nice way. And then when you would turn on a spirit box, he would curse at a woman who was by herself. That happened to Tanya early on in our investigation. Hmm. Uh, and how about, well, uh, what else happened to you while, uh, you while you were there? You spent, was it 150 hours? That's correct. Um, so many uh, ex- interesting experiences and encounters. In fact, more different types of encounters, I believe, at the web than any other place that we've investigated before or since. But some some of the encounters included uh, some really fun uh, exchanges with one of the uh, permanent residents we feel on the first floor. His name was Dr. Thompson, and he was one of the two doctors who originally practiced out of the building before it was a library. It served as doctor's offices on the first floor. One of those doctors was Dr. Sam Sanford Thompson, and I encountered him the first night that we were there Um, just kind of getting a feel for the library. So one thing that he would frequently do as we would take groups through the library is that he would indicate to me that um, he wanted to share or convey a message to one of the guests. And uh, he would pick somebody. And uh, one of the most fun experiences, I think, with that is when he was letting me know that uh, he liked – the hair of a young girl. She was probably about 17 years old and he was indicating that he liked her hair. And then he was showing me her in a prom dress. 
And so I shared this information. She was there with her mom. And when I shared it, her and her mom both started laughing. And they said, her mom said, I know what he's talking about. She said, I did her hair for the prom and she hated it. So um, he once was scolding some young boys uh, that they had been driving too fast and their sister was there and she said yeah absolutely they were driving too fast the night before so that was one of the more fun experiences but there were children on the first floor who would like to play hide and seek Um, and then when you moved up to the second up to the second floor you would encounter uh, more dark types of experiences uh, which we can talk about but one of the very strange experiences was of an interdimensional that we have no idea what it was but it was a strange looking creature uh, that to me looked like something out of a Maury Sindak book actually um, but just just a wide variety of encounters. How do they uh they coexist all of these spirits are they aware of of each other do you think that's a great question um another factor for this being a perfect storm sort of haunting or paranormal site is the second floor has two wings uh one of the wings which we called the south hallway or the portal and that faced the lot uh the hospital and just beyond it the water uh had no entrances or exits to any other rooms whereas the north hallway had a couple of different entrances and exits and two windows facing each other which we felt worked the same way as mirrors do to create a sort of uh thinning of the veil like they suggest in feng shui don't have two mirrors facing each other so with all of that going on there were at times in one particular night where we felt like there were three dimensions, if you will, um, where there was, of course, us on our our physical plane here on Earth. There was a group that were interacting of spirits and ghosts that were very unaware of anything else going on. They were sort of in their own plane, if you will. And then there were ghosts and spirits who were interacting with us. So talking on the spirit box and things like that. Also, too, you had the hairy, not interdimensional. We had spectral MIB. There was one thing that was described as a wraith you know, a gray sort of skeletal figure. There were other figures that crawled along the ceiling. Uh, One psychic medium who was with us one night sort of described it as its head swiveling and you could hear its bones clicking on the ceiling. So quite a wide array. um, And I think uh, existing in multiple dimensions at the same time. Never mind the most haunted library. It must rank up there amongst the most haunted locations, period. That's a very good point. I I think you're probably right about that. Um, Yeah, we've really never encountered such a wide variety of of different things. And so you, you have like the spirits of actual people, people who were, you know, obviously human when they were living and then. Yeah, interdimensional beings, like Joey said, the MIB. Yeah, just an amazing, amazing place. I just spoke with Nick Redfern recently about uh, his book, Black Diary, talking about men in black, women in black. Uh, talk to me about these spectral MIBs, as you call them. What What are they all about? Right. So um, I read Black Diary. Nick was nice enough to to write one of the blurbs for the back of our book, so we're extremely familiar with his work. So... 
there were three or four different separate accounts, and I'll start and then I'll I'll pass it over to Tanya because she re- she really was the one that engaged with them. But at first, they just kind of showed up very much in a traditional sort of way, shiny black suits and uh, uh, shiny black shoes and fedoras, but not quite uh, humanoid. We we had a guest investigator that that Tanya was training, an interesting young man named Brian. He had and I, I it's this is a little off topic, but comes right back quickly. So I'm going to go here. He, he was hit by a car and the woman panicked when she hit him and she backed up and she ran over him again he was he was a hit and run she disappeared uh someone saw him they rushed him to the hospital he died twice once on the operating table once in intensive care and when he woke up this young man's centers had opened up and he saw spirits ghosts entities everywhere and uh similar i think to the way ingo swan did his remote viewing brian expressed what he saw by drawing it or writing it down. So he would have paper or folders in front of him and he would do this. And he did not know what MIBs were. He just didn't have that experience. He wasn't from that world. And he drew something that looked very much like a classic MIB. And that's often what was seen there. So Tanya, why don't you tell him about the two in particular in the room upstairs? Certainly. So one evening we had gone up to the second floor and we were being um, accompanied that night by a particularly friendly spirit. And um, as was often the case in the web, we would have uh, what I would call residents like Dr. Thompson, and then we would have sort of passers through. So this particular spirit who identified himself as Jerry uh, was one of those passers through, but he had showed up for the night and he was kind of giving us a tour around. And we went into uh, one of the rooms that we called the cannon room. And he was telling us things. He was coming through the, the PSB 11 box that we were using. And as we sat down in that room and we're having our conversation with him, I looked in two chairs um, and I was psychically seeing these men in black. Nobody else in the room was was seeing them. I was seeing them psychically, but they were just sitting there very, very still uh, with their gazes fixed across the room um, in just sort of a menacing and, and really unsettling way. And we had asked Gary about them. And about that time, I saw one of the men in black move across the room, put its hand on Jerry's throat and start choking him. So I called on angel assistance to help Gary, uh, Jerry, I'm sorry. And, um, in that moment, the whole, the whole thing just kind of disappeared and everyone, um, the two men in black and Jerry just vanished. So hopefully he was assisted. Um, but that was my first experience with the men in black. And the night that, Brian was drawing uh, one of the men in black. The interesting thing was I was seeing them again, but I hadn't said anything. It was often the case that I would observe what was happening in the room. I wouldn't say anything because we were usually assisted with other mediums. So I wanted to see if they would be able to pick up on what I was seeing. And that often was a case. So I'm looking at the two men in black and I noticed that Brian's drawing something. So I walked over and he was drawing exactly what I was seeing. So that's remarkable. Um, so Brian, just one of six hundred uh, guest investigators that have. Uh, uh, I mean, were you there with each of those six hundred guests, or is that just the total number of people that have sort of wandered through and investigated the web library? 
No, I think that 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 second number is much, much higher. So it was an open investigation. That's how it was um, set up. So when we first took it over, as many as 20 people could come in with us. And we found that there was a inversely proportioned ratio of more people there was, less activity there was. An ideal number was actually six. It seemed like six people with us or eight total. We dropped it down to 15 because it was easier to police. You, you get people who want to come along and they, they want to play pranks on you and go into rooms and move things around and sort of mess with the – um, with the controlled environment that we were trying to have to test things like objects moving and whatnot. Um, so those were those were the actual people that Tanya and I took through in the course of that. And that number includes, I think, over 100 school children who witnessed some pretty incredible things, things moving and and odd uh, synchronicities and circumstances. But yeah, that it, it was a very unique situation to have an open, ongoing investigation to corroborate data. And Tanya and I have talked about it. It was probably seven or eight percent of those people were probably sensitives. Um, it was probably one or two percent that were psychic mediums. And there was probably another couple percent, especially teenage girls, who would come into the web and suddenly have these uh, sensitivities that they had never, ever had before. That's that's as big a psychic battery as the web library is, that it would allow that to happen. Right. Well, yeah, what is that about with prepubescent uh, uh, girls and paranormal activity? What do you think is happening there? Um, I'm not really sure, but I suspect that what's happening has to do with uh, the change in hormones that they're experiencing at that age. Um, and as someone who also studies and practices yoga, I feel like it might have something to do with um, as they're growing and maturing, perhaps something is happening with their energy centers that's, um, you know, having an effect perhaps on the pineal gland. Um, that's, that's what I think it might be. With all this activity uh, in, in the library, and it's also a civic center, so I'm guessing they have other community events there. Uh, has anyone ever talked about maybe trying to uh, exercise that location? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, there are other groups that have gone in there and we always felt like there was a group that would go in a couple times a month. And I think that they were doing seances and things like that. Uh, Tanya and I did have four uh, spontaneous experiences where we had communications between guests and people who had passed on that were somehow related or connected to them. But we never set out to do anything like that. So Really, a big part of what we do is take everything very carefully on a case-by-case basis. So to make an assumption, we get a lot of phone calls and emails, either advice or requests to come into homes where there's something in my home. It's a it looks like an old lady or something. It's freaking us out. Can you come and banish it? And, you know, that's almost like having a neighbor that you dislike and so you want the police or something to come cart them away. It seems like a disproportional first response. So each, each, there were times that we uh, crossed things over. Uh, there were times that we certainly tried to protect ourselves or banish something that wasn't human or was kind of dangerous um, at times. But 
there are so many friendly, positive spirits there. I mean, in the children's room, there are these wonderful young spirits. One little boy in a noose cap and britches that Tanya nicknamed Oliver and and other uh, spirits of children, ghosts of children who interact with other children when they're there. Uh, we got to corroborate names, so we would we would interview someone as part of our process, and they would say, "Oh yeah, my son would say, oh, uh, you, you know, can Michael come home with us today?'" And they'd say, "No, no, your your invisible friend just has to stay at the library." But then it turns out we're communicating with a little boy named Michael. So so um, even not even prepubescent girls, but going down to children, we think have a more innate ability and openness. So no no reason for. Um, for a group or sort of mass exorcism there. Um, but each spirit and ghost and entity to be taken on a case by case basis. You mentioned some were dangerous. Uh, tell me more. Uh, there were a couple of accounts actually before we even started bringing uh, groups in for the investigation. We had heard accounts of people previously being scratched um, and scratches that would actually draw blood. And initially, we kind of discounted that because for quite some time, we never had any kind of experience like that. But subsequently, um, we did have some folks who had uh, not only felt that they had been touched, but Brian, um, who we mentioned earlier at one point, had gone off by himself, which was something that we we strongly urged people not to do when they were there. Uh, but he had wandered off into a room by himself, and uh, he had like four scratches across across his back. And, um, you know, although I suppose it would have been possible for him to reach across and do that, we really don't think that that's something he did. Um, the scratches were pretty deep and they drew blood on him. There was another occasion where we had a woman um, just in front of our eyes and there were, this was Halloween night, we were doing an investigation. There was a room filled with people who were part of the investigation. The woman had uh, shorts on and she started saying, my leg feels like it's burning. And we watched in front of our eyes as this, it looked like a burn, just started to appear on her shin. So, um, and at that time, Dr. Thompson, who I mentioned earlier, advised that we put some ice on it, which made sense. So um, one of the guests actually happened to have an ice cooler in his car, and that's what we did, and it helped. But uh, there were people who had their, their jacket tugged off, um, Joey at one point heard a growl. So some pretty um, scary things. More of my conversation with Joey and Tanya Medea when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Say, have you visited our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary? No? Well, here's Colleen Forgas, our Full Script Dispensary Manager and Nutritional Therapist, to tell you all about it. Hey, Colleen, welcome. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Let's talk multivitamins today. Great. You know, even if we're eating the best diet that we possibly can, I do really think it's a good idea to take a multivitamin daily. And I have two products, actually one designed for women and one designed for men by a company called Innate Response. And I love it because it's derived from food, so it's a really high-quality multivitamin. 
Terrific. We'll talk again next week. Take care, Richard. All right. That's Colleen Forgas, our full script dispensary manager, nutritional therapist. If you want to order any of these products you hear about, it's real simple. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button and then register. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more, well, that order ships for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Joey and Tanya Medea are here discussing their investigation of the Webb Memorial Library. Uh, the Webb Library is, as you mentioned, a le- an active lending library. They have some of the original collection of books there. Is there any risk then people taking one of these ghosts home, uh, you know, uh, piggybacking on a book? I don't. I don't know if I don't know specifically about put piggybacking on a book but the books you you had mentioned the books you know earlier when we first started we had a lot of correlations between messages coming through to look in certain books by certain authors uh to look on a certain page and it seemed like the person who would pull the book uh and would open the book then and read what was going on would have some kind of profound personal message for them now is that, you know, does that work the same thing as a, as a synchronicity where because you're looking for it? Not really sure, but it happened, oh, probably 10 or 12 times that we report. Um, but definitely things piggybacked on. Now, uh, a strange thing happened with a 1972 uh, Eisenhower silver dollar. Help me out. 1972. I it was 1972. And it was a particular interesting night. Uh, we had a drunken bridal party. So we had these 10 women who um, had been drinking and we, we instituted a policy after a while that you shouldn't drink and come to the web uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but it had been a difficult yeah. night. But also um, we had four sensitives with us who, who were pretty skilled. And we felt so bad that typically it would go for 90 minutes, the tour. And by by 11 o'clock at night, the ghosts and spirits were pretty fatigued. We sort of had an unspoken agreement with them that we would leave around that time. And um, things would especially get kind of tense and irritable up on the second floor. So we stayed behind. We wound up crossing over a burn victim that was attached to the hospital from the time of World War II. It was all very profound. But in a different room, out of thin air drops this 1970 or 72, it's escaping me, um, Eisenhower silver dollar. So everybody's tired, Tanya's tired. She takes the coin and she gives it to the woman that it falls right next to. And she says, here, you you can take this. Um, it fell next to you, perhaps there's a message there. Well, we received an email from her a couple months later that this coin terrorized her dog. He was a an Alaskan Husky, I mm-hmm. believe. Whatever room this coin was in, the dog would just go nuts and act kind of nutty. And it sort of went on for weeks. And she came home one day and everything was calm and still and the dog was great. And her husband had taken it to a bank. So that was a crucial learning point for Tanya and I, 
to to watch with those kinds of things. You mentioned Rosemary writing about haunted objects. It's probably something we should have contacted John Zaffis about, but you know, you're learning. It's on the job training here sometimes. Um, and we had a few spirits come home with us, either physically. We had one very mischievous little boy who just wreaked havoc in our kitchen for a week, put little plastic twisty tie from a bread bag in the oven when it was on, uh, knocked over a quart of milk in the refrigerator, rolled eggs off the counter. Um, so we would we over time developed a ritual, which we're now teaching other people about prepping beforehand cleansing afterwards there was one night that we just engaged with so many sort of angry ghosts that we went down to the ocean and just went in the water to uh you know to cleanse ourselves that way so so there were instances one night i woke up sort of in a lucid dream and i didn't know where i was it was very dark but i was out of my body and i'm hearing this insistent beeping in the background and that beeping alerted me to the fact that I was outside of the web library and it was the crosswalk sign that was beeping. And the minute that I had that recognition, it was like a, a rubber band snapped back and I got slammed back into my body. So, so the web did at times try to call people back or entities from the web did come home, nothing major or really, um, really bad happened, thank goodness. Uh, aside from the apporting coin, you, you talk about ectoplasm in the book, and I've, been, I've always been fascinated with those um, turn of the century, uh, turn of the, you know, like the 20th century books about um, manifesting mediums from Great Britain and those wonderful photographs of uh, ectoplasm supposedly coming out of you know various orifices of the of the the medium tell me about your experience with ectoplasm yeah it was very odd for me tanya is the psychic medium in the family along with our 20 year old daughter jolie who would assist um on certain investigations and i have a little bit of claire audience but um and i'm developing some other things now as time goes along with tanya as a teacher but one night I was sitting in one of the rooms and just kind of had my hand on the table and I was I kept very uh, detailed notes in a field journal. It's kind of my nature. And a couple months in, I realized, hey, there's something going on here. So I'm taking very careful notes. And suddenly my finger is covered as if I had had a really bad cold and had sneezed all over myself. And again, kind of being a newbie and what I, I didn't instinctively want this on my finger. So there was someone next to me and they, they were kind of grimacing. It was very gross. <laughs> yeah, that is just and, plain uh, gross. <laughs> right. So human nature, what do I do? I wipe it off. Um, so that's um, but 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 it what my hand was nowhere, you know, nowhere near any orifices. Uh, since you use that word and um, just laying there and said and covered with this with this goo clear it was clear um and a little bit viscous and it was it was darn odd darn odd yeah so what do you do with that i mean can you analyze it can you put it under a microscope were you able to save it no because she's freaking out next to me this person and in the moment i don't want it on me so like i said i wiped it off with my with my other hand you know like i i cupped my fingers and kind of pulled it off and then it dissipated across the surface of my hand so that was another um that was another kind of rookie mistake 
Um, uh, yeah. Well, um, I want to I want to circle back to the uh, the interdimensional uh, that that you and Tanya uh, dealt with for seven years. But before that, just give people an idea how they can get a copy of Watch Out for the Hallway. Sure. Uh, Watch Out for the Hallway is available on Amazon, and it's also available through uh, Rosemary's publishing company, uh, VisionaryLiving.com. Terrific. Okay, so Rosemary also helped you with this interdimensional that you both grappled with for, uh, well, nearly a decade. Tell me about that. So in 2009, Joey and I, we had uh, not long before that, we had seen the movie The Mothman Prophecies, which we thoroughly enjoyed. And in 2007, we had moved to West Virginia. And upon moving to West Virginia, we realized that the Mothman Museum in the town of Point Pleasant, um, which is where the Mothman had been sighted in 1966-1967, was only a few hours away from where we lived. So after some urging, Joey wasn't wasn't all excited about going at first, but I convinced him to go spend a weekend in Point Pleasant with me. And we went in 2009 and we went out to what is called the TNT area. Um, it's the McClintock Wildlife Preserve, and it's near, very near the area where a lot of the original Mothman sightings had taken place. Um, so we left the downtown area of Point Pleasant at about 2.30 in the afternoon that day, and it's about a 15-minute drive out to the TNT area. When we got there, the first thing that we noticed is that even though it was a beautiful sunny day, uh, it's a beautiful wildlife preserve, it was actually quite eerie. We felt as if we were being watched. Um, the sounds of nature that should have been teeming all around us just weren't there. And we were just kind of overcome by this very uneasy feeling. So we only spent about 10 or 15 minutes kind of wandering around the area. There are these cement igloos out there that, that people go and investigate and, um, during World War II, these structures would hold munitions and, and they were covered with earth so that uh, if the enemies were to fly over, they couldn't see these structures. Now they're just empty and people go in and investigate them and there have been some experiences reported there. Well, we didn't really go inside any of the igloos. We felt so uneasy. Uh, Joey was getting nauseous around a couple of them. So we had brought some sage because we had heard that this area uh, had been inhabited. Of course, you know, all of North America was inhabited by, um, you know, native tribes. But we had heard that this might have been a burial ground as well. So we left some sage in honor of that, stayed about 15 minutes and decided to head back into town. So uh, as we're driving on 62 back toward Route 62 back toward Point Pleasant, we were talking about how odd it was that we felt so eerie at the Wildlife Preserve. And just at that moment, we saw a figure appear on the left-hand side of the road. It was a a humanoid-looking, bipedal, uh, gray, dark gray figure, and it leapt across the road in a single bound. And it landed on the right uh, side of like the berm of the road where there was a cornfield and just vanished. It didn't go into the cornfield. It just vanished into thin air at the edge of it. And it happened so quickly that we probably both would have dismissed it, except that in that moment, we both turned to each other and said, did you just see that? 
And so we decided that what we would do is not discuss it. We'd, we would each sort of draw a sketch of what we saw, and then we would discuss it after we had both done that. And we weren't really even sure why that occurred to us, but that's what we decided. So we drive back into town, and um, we had left, as I mentioned, at 2.30 in the afternoon, and there had been a shop owner downtown who had uh, drawn a map for us and said, if you see anything, come back and let me know. So you figure it's 15 minutes out to the TNT area. We couldn't have been there more than 15 minutes. So that's a half an hour. It's 15 minutes back into town. So that should have been about 45 minutes that transpired. But when we got back into Point Pleasant, we discovered that the shop was closed and we couldn't figure out why. And after checking our our phones for the time, we found out it was after 5 p.m. So we have no accounting for what happened in that missing time wow. either. My word. How many hours? Uh, so if we left at 2.30... Uh, and you figure we should have been back by, say, like 3.15, and it was after 5, so possibly around two hours wow. of missing time. Which was, which was really interesting as we, as we began to look at it, because the drive back seemed a lot longer. Yes. I distinctly remember a gas station on the right-hand side of the road as we were heading back. Uh, I remember the colored pinions. I remember that the the tanks were kind of a little older looking. Um, and uh, But I remember it so clearly, um, I think because of those colored flags ringed around it, and there has never been a gas station there. So that was very interesting. So, so there was definitely a space time distortion and we remember, and we drew it on our sketches, which are in the book. Um, there were cornfields on both sides, but when we went back to investigate again with Rosemary and some others, uh, there was a house on the left-hand side. So there was no way that there was a cornfield there. So that was how that all, right. Yes. That's how it all began, but this would go yeah. on for seven years. Obviously, we don't have time to, to detail all, every uh, aspect of the seven-year um, experience, but just give me maybe one or two more quick examples of how this interdimensional manifested in your lives and then how it all came to an end. Oh, well, so so I think I misspoke and caused a, a misunderstanding for you. The seven years that I referred to was our mentorship with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Ah, okay. But during those seven years, um, it re that experience, I think, opened up a lot for us because uh, we started to experience portals and hauntings in the houses that we lived in and, and all different kinds of other interesting interdimensionals, fairy lights, uh, cobalts, all different kinds of, of things where luckily we had Rosemary to, to kind of guide us and help us. We went on a lot of field investigations. She came to our, our three acres in a West Virginia hollow. So not that specific interdimensional, but from that time on to the present, it was sort of game on about these sort of portal experiences, interdimensionals, lucid dreaming, astral traveling, all of that kind of thing. So ha had that not occurred, we may not be sitting here doing this interview right now. You may not have written the book. Is that a fair assumption? 
Absolutely. I had been a lifelong experiencer uh, and I had had experiences my whole life, but nothing to the extent that began to occur after uh, our sighting of that interdimensional. And yes, thank goodness we had Rosemary to help us navigate through all of it. Um, and it did really help us uh, get get an understanding of what had happened, you know, throughout my life and kind of put it into context as we then began our journey into some of these other experiences. And I just want to tack something on really quick about how that that all maybe never would have happened. It's been interesting because in the last decade and and November of last year made exactly a decade since that sighting when all this really began for us and to, you know, to be talking to you and and to to just kind of be a gushing fan. Uh, we've listened to you for a long time. You're one of our absolute favorites. Oh, thank you. So yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. So to do all of this stuff and the journey and the books and having an investigating team that we work closely with and travel and teach. And um, we've gotten calls along the way from some of the reality shows, quote unquote, and everything goes well as we tell this very compelling story until someone a producer says, so what was you, did your life fall apart? Did it, did it cause problems in your marriage? Was, was your house then haunted? Did, and we say, no, actually what we think is this interdimensional sighting allowed us to meet Rosemary and this community of people that not only accepted us, but now we're uh, contributing members of. And, and we believe that it's important for people to know that not all of these sightings, even though they're odd, are dark or in need of an exorcism to go back to that point but there there are there are real um alignments that happen and interesting universal things and synchronicities uh, that we're immensely grateful for uh you don't this is kind of a personal question i suppose you don't have to answer but you, you know it sounds like you were close to rosemary i knew her for oh maybe 15 years uh, m mostly over the radio uh, have you heard from her? Yes, as a matter of fact, we have. Um, we've been very fortunate to have several visitations from Rosemary. Um, Joey had a visitation that he could speak more to, but it was right before she passed, actually. On the day that I learned of her passing, um, she appeared. And um, subsequently, I've been able to connect with her through automatic writing on several occasions. One of the first messages that I got from Rosemary through automatic writing said, um, I'm here, I'm working with John Keel, and Bigfoot is real, and he exists on multiple dimensions. And at the time, I, I didn't even realize that one of the last books Rosemary had just uh, put out was yes. uh, Planet Bigfoot. That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, so I thought I found that out shortly thereafter, and thought, "Wow, that's that she's continuing the work from beyond the veil, which is is absolutely like Rosemary." Well, say hi for me the next. I time. I definitely <laughs> will. Uh, uh, and I should yeah. mention too. I'm sorry to 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 interrupt, but um, we have had other people who who worked with Rosemary, uh, including some others who uh, co-wrote some books with her, uh, say the same thing, that she's appeared for them in dreams, that she's uh, come through for them on several occasions. So I think she's working with all of us still from the other side. So you might be able to say hi to her for yourself. Okay, I will. <laughs> uh, into the Outer Realm, the live stream. It started earlier this year. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, uh, last Friday was our debut. So through this wonderful journey, um, I know a, a friend of yours, and, and now I would say a mutual friend, Mark Eddy. Ah, uh, yes. Who has Mark has been tirelessly championing us for several months. We were on his program night late, and then he said, I'm going to introduce you to this person, that person, and it's been wonderful the last couple months. He kind of picked up where Rosemary left off and he's 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 been a real angel to us. But he introduced us to Kelly Stefan and Matt Bennett over at Skydoor Network. And I believe it was in the middle of November, we were guests on the show. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're making a return tomorrow night on on their introspection show. And I was within a few days. They said, hey, we really love your energy. We love what you do. Um, we, we were, how would you like a slot? And so we said, yeah, this would be wonderful. So people can see it on Facebook. Uh, it's through something called Be Live, but it goes anywhere from an hour to two hours, depending on the subject matter. And we had our debut last week and we're it exceeded our expectations, uh, was I think the most watched show on the network for the week I found out last night. And Tomorrow we have our first guest, but Tanya will be doing messages from Spirit. We're going to have interactive audience Q&As. We're going to have reports from the field. Thank you for asking about it. We're really, really excited about this way to to reach much bigger audiences than, you know, getting in the car and going to conferences, which we'll continue to do. But Well, Joey and Tanya, it was uh, great finally meeting you. Thank you so much for spending some time, and I hope we can do it again. Thank you Thank so you. much. It really was an honor. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to fill you in on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several donation tiers to choose from from a dollar per month to fifty dollars a month new donors at the 10 20 and 50 dollar per month tier receive a free mug from my strange planet shop donors in the 20 dollar tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, a lifelong UFO ET experiencer recalls his chilling encounter with an alien-human hybrid. She said, we were supposed to meet. I said, we were supposed to meet? She goes, yes, we're supposed to meet. I said, who are you? And then she told me my name's Hiroko. I said, well, I'm Dave. Hi. It started raining. So we got in my car. And after we got in the car, there's another car that pulled up just the parking space over from me. And this was kind of a mysterious uh, young guy. He must have been in his late 20s, had close cropped hair, and he had a headset on. He kind of looked like CIA or FBI type person. He didn't look at me. He did not turn his head one time and look, look at me. 
Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 